0: As the Apostle Paul dictates to his scribe, tarsius his understanding of the Gospel, and his experiences in the grace of God, and in the Spirit of God, and in the life of God, we finally come to chapter 8, verse 28, as we have it in our Biblical numerical system. And you may know verse 28 very well, after all, it's perhaps the most beloved, Bible promise in all of the written Word of God and it states that we know all things work together for good to those who love God and to those who are called according to his purpose. This verse is by and large quoted in the context of suffering and rightfully so. Because in the imminent context here of Romans 8, there is also a section on suffering. Let me explain. Starting in Romans 8 verses 17, it's as though you have a bookend of glory. Paul speaks about us being the heirs of God and the joint heirs of Jesus Christ and how God is going to glorify us. Then, if you come to Romans 8, verse 28, he says things are going to work together for good. And we have been predestined to be conformed to the image of Christ. And in verse 30, God is glorifying us. And you have these two bookends of glory. We're the heirs of God, the joint heirs of Christ, and we're going to be glorified. And then here at the back end, you have the purposes of God. We're going to experience Christ-likeness and the image of God, and we're going to be glorified. And it's the other bookend. And right there in the middle, you have Christian suffering. And that's why this verse means so much to us, because it is in the context of difficulty. Come with me. Look again at Romans 8, verse 17. It is here that Paul introduces us to Christian suffering. He says, if indeed we suffer with Him, that we may also be glorified with Him. Also notice in verse 18, there again is Christian suffering. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory to be revealed upon us. Again, there's the word suffering. As if Christian suffering is not enough, in verse 19, 20, 21, and 22, Paul introduces creation also subjected to suffering. In verse 19, creation is anxiously, eagerly awaiting the manifestation of the sons of God. In verses 20, creation experiences vanity and uselessness. In verses 21, creation is subjected to slavery and corruption. In verses 22, creation groans and travails in pain. And it's as though Paul is saying not only are we, the sons and daughters of God, going through a tough time, but also the very planet upon which we live that's subjected to time, It is also going through heartache and and, and birth pangs is the literal word that Paul would use. In verse 23, Paul resumes the suffering of the individual son and daughter of God and us as the body of Christ collectively. And he talks about how we even groan within ourselves and how we have this anticipation for the redemption of our body. In verses 24, he says that even though we are Christians, even though we are the sons and daughters of God, we don't fully see all of the things of God manifested yet. We live in this tension of mystery, and so we've got to stay in hope. In verse 25, he says we have to endure in this hope. Things are not quite coming together right now. It's not quite adding up, but we're in a process of fire and trial and tribulation. And we have to stay the course through endurance. In verse 26, he says that we don't even know how to pray in our weakness when we are struggling, when we are suffering at times when we are despondent and confused and we cannot make sense of the hand of God in time and upon our lives. He says, we don't even know how we should pray. We don't know even how to approach God and say, Lord. What are you doing? And so there is in part despondency, in part there's ignorance, in part there's confusion, and we have weakness all around. Again in verse 26, he says that the Spirit will pray through our groanings and our sighs and our cryings and our utterances of maybe despondency and even fear and weakness. So you can see why verse 28 is such a comforting verse. All things work together for good. But notice, for those who love God, I have noticed that so many of us want to quote this verse. But we maintain our own will, our own way. We stubbornly dig in our heels and remain in the flesh, in our carnality, and in our natural thinking, our natural paradigms. And we love to hang on to control. This chapter is the chapter on the Spirit. We cannot expect things to just work together when we do what we want, go where we want, and do not pay attention to the moving and the leadings of the Holy Spirit. So number one, if things are to work together for good, we have to remain in the Holy Spirit, not the flesh. Number two, it says, things work together for those who love God. You cannot resume love for the self and love for the world. And now all of a sudden things are uh, turned upside down and quote this verse and say, Wow, um, I can just do what I want, go where I want. I can sin as I want. I can stay in love with the world, in love with money, in love with idolatry, in love with the self. And yeah, things are just going to work together for good. Beloved, you cannot quote this promise As long as the self-life is on the throne. Paul had already addressed the self-life in Romans chapter 6. Don't you know that you're crucified with Christ? That you've been buried with Him in baptism and that you've been risen with Him in life? Don't you know that you're no longer in the law of chapter 7? You are in the life-giving spirit of chapter 8. So, yes, things are going to work together. Why? Because you're in the love of God. Well, how am I in the love of God? Because I'm in the spirit, not in the flesh. So, beloved, stay in the love of God through the difficulty, through the trial. Just know that God loves you. He's not punishing you. Know that God loves you and stay in loving God. And all things will work together for good. And then number three, it says all things work together for good. For those who are called according to God's purpose verse 29 introduces the calling of God on a Christian and Paul's heartbeat is basically that no matter what we're going through the calling of God is going to trump the circumstances of suffering now what is this calling it's verse 29 the fact that we have been predestined The sons and the daughters of God have been predestined to be conformed to the image of Jesus Christ, the firstborn among many brethren. And here is the heartbeat of Paul that through all of the suffering... God can actually use the negative things within time and through suffering to accomplish an eternal weight of glory for the sons and daughters of God. As long as we stay in the love of God, the calling of God is going to prevail. And what is that calling? That we would be godly, godlike, Christlike. That calling was already hinted at in the Old Testament, Numbers chapter 6, that God would lift up His countenance upon you and make His face shine upon you. That is that God would put His glory, His image, His likeness upon man. Well, that was prophesied and spoken of already in number 6, and here we are in the fulfillment of it. And so often we wonder, can God use difficulty? Is difficulty just to derail us? According to the satanic, it is to derail us. The difficulty is to produce despair and hopelessness within us. But God, through the Spirit, can actually gain the image of Christ in us if we stay the course. So there you have it. All things work together for good. It is the bookend of verse 17 verse 17 speaks of our being glorified together with Christ and here all things are gonna work together you're going to be glorified if you notice Romans chapter 8 verse 30 Paul describes the process through which this takes place he says whom God has predestined these he also called in order to change you into the image of Christ And to glorify you with the image of Christ God has to call you so this is the process the first thing according to his predestination God had chosen beforehand that he needs to call people so God calls then it says those whom he called he also justifies and that's a continuation of the process God calls to do what to justify you and now what is God gonna do with your justification He is going to glorify you. There is the process of glorification. And right there in the middle is the suffering. And in verse 28 is that promise. If we stay the course, if we stay in hope, and allow the Spirit to pray through us and groan through us, and even at times when we cannot make sense of the hand of God upon us, We know that God is working from His Spirit within and even perhaps from the circumstances without to lift up the countenance of Christ upon us and make the face of God shine upon us. Beloved, this takes time. For all things to work together for good, time is employed by God to work the image of Christ. It's not just a little bit of a truth here and a little bit of a lesson there and a little bit of an aha moment here and there. God uses time. God uses processes. And God uses people, circumstances, so many things. But in particular, every moment of every day, of every month, of every year, and of every decade, as long as you live in time, And as long as you are subject to time, God is going to employ time to cause all things to work together for good. As long as in time you stay in the Spirit, in time you learn to pray in the Spirit and hope in your Lord, and as long as in time you walk away from the flesh, And put your mind on the image of Christ that is being burned into you, substantiated into you, built into you, worked into your system. I want to play a clip for you where I ministered on the issue of time to a group of believers and I exhorted them to stay in the processes of God. Take that message of time and couple it with this verse All things will work together for good. And just consider that as long as you are alive, God will use this aspect of time and all of the elements within time to conform you to the image of His firstborn Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Is the servant of God. God created time. Therefore, God is in charge of time. God created the span. And of course, I'm hardly sure how it all actually began. I'm even less sure how it all is going to wrap up. Unless you're an American that knows how the end time is going to happen. I'm African. I don't know how it's going to happen. But let me just tell you, we are stuck here in the middle of time. And the Lord created it. Therefore, He is sovereign. I want to remind you tonight real quickly, if God created time, then He sovereignly brought you forth in time at such a time as today. None of us in this room is an accident. None of us are the byproduct of evolution. You have been ordained of God to be at such a time as today. The Lord is sovereign over this whole span of time, but He is also very sovereign over the moments of time. And God, according to Acts 17, He's the one that determined where you should be born. He determined the boundaries of your dwelling. And God determined that you should be brought forth in this moment, in this hour, in this culture. Of His sovereign degree that I don't hardly understand the sovereignty of God. This is way above my pay grade. But... I am not just existing, I'm not just drifting, God intentionally brought me forth in this moment of time. Are you guys aware of the fact that we are at the forefront of global history? (laughs) Like, yo, we are at the forefront of universal existence. Within this time capsule, God brought you forth today of His sovereign decree. Therefore, since you're here, obviously, He wants to do something with your life. There's at least one person that's beginning to agree with me. (laughs) Now, I have been told that I am an accident baby. Some of you do not know this, but let me just say it this way. I am the byproduct of a one night situationship. I'm not sure if they were standing or laying involved. I I do not personally know that. But they call it a one night stand or something. Okay. So. I am an accident, as the common wisdom goes, until I learned that God sovereignly brought me forth. I have no control over how my parents got me here. But now that I am here, I am in time. I'm a part of this time continuum. I'm even at the forefront of global. That just about does it for me right there. Now that I am in time, under the Lord, God is wanting to use me in this culture, in this moment. I have a couple of years in which God wants to do a work not only in me, but a work through me. And so I've given my life to the Lord. And when I gave my life to the Lord, I gave, in a way, time to the Lord and said, Lord, I am here for Your time. I am here for Your purposes. And I want to ask you tonight, God's brought you forth. Do you belong to the Lord's purposes in this day and age, or do you belong to the culture's purpose? God brought you forth. Is He doing a work in here? Because not only does He want to work in here, He wants to work through you. You are by divine design. Therefore, you are qualified and fit for the Master's use. Can I ask you, now that you're living, are you just existing? and cruising, and lollygagging, or can I just appeal to all of y'all that now that you are here, God's wanting to do good things, big things, meaningful, influential things through your life. doesn't care how you came into this life, but now that I am here, I want to appeal to everyone to give Him your life. And say, Lord, I exist in this moment of time for Your pleasure, for Your purposes. And for your interests in this earth. Time is created by God, and time is constant. And so, every second, and every minute, and every hour that ticks by, God is wanting to work in your life. In John's Gospel, chapter 5, verse 17, Jesus makes a remarkable statement. I just want to remind you of this statement. He says, my father has been working until now, and I also am working. As long as there is time, God will constantly be working in your life. Since He created time, and I am submitted to time, and I live in this dynamic of time, you better believe 24 hours a day. God is interested in your existence and living in time, and He's wanting to work in your life. So let me speak to that for just a second. For many of us, we pick the seasons that God should work with us. That is, on a Sunday maybe on a Wednesday, maybe a study over here or a camp over there or a season at legacy here and there. And we, in a way, script to him, for that time, Lord, I'm available. For this season, I might give myself to you at that mountaintop, Lord, there I'll seek you. And so what you and I do is we compartmentalize time and we script time and we say, Lord, When I'm 50 years old, I'll get serious with you. As of now, I got this thing. You take care of all the children and I got my life, Lord. And we dictate and we script, not knowing that since time is constant and God's been working, Jesus said, God's been working until now. That is, He's ongoingly at work. Can I ask you, is God at work in your life today? Yes, He is. Because you're in time. And time is constant. So He must be constantly working. But, is the Lord getting through to you? I want to challenge each one here. Do you script when the Lord is allowed to work with you? God, Sunday morning, come on, bring it on. Are you living a compartmentalized life? Or if you come into a rhythm where the Lord has access to you every second of every day. Time is of God, therefore you're sovereignly here, you're divinely here, you're intentionally here. Time is constant, therefore God is working in your life. And all those people, all those places, all those events, God's using all of that to work in you. We'll talk about that in just a minute. So nobody in this room should say, but God's not doing something. God, where are you? Uh, God, why are you not... There's nobody in here that can say God is absent. God just is present. He's with us. And He's with you. Therefore, He's working. And I'll ask you your response in just a minute. So, time is of God. Time is constant. But now... I don't want to get all theoretical with you here, but I want to tell you that time is also relative. I have a general theory of relative. Somebody should coin that phrase. (laughs) I just want to tell you some general theories of time for just a second. Okay. Why is it, why is it that the one sister in the Lord, the one brother in the Lord, the one man of God, the one woman of God They are constantly in the Lord saying, God, I'm walking with you. What are you doing? Lord, teach me. Every moment of every day matters for this one person. And they are very discerning of the work of God. They don't fully understand it, but they leave leave nothing to chance or to fate. Why is it that the one man goes on with God? He's partnering with God. And he's growing in God. And the other man just kind of like occasionally checks in with God, checks out. It is because even though time is constant and God is constantly working in people, His work is only relative to the one who partners with Him. Can you follow what I'm saying? This is just a general theory that I have here on the relativity of time. The one person, day in and day out, he's calling on the Lord. He's trusting the Lord, and he's exercising his spirit, and he's discerning, and he's discriminating. The the, the, the hand of God is on him, and he accepts it, and he partners with God, and he leans in, and he grows, and he matures, and he walks with God. For him, the hand of God is easily on him, he discerns it, and he grows as a result. So time has influence on him. Time has purpose. And as a result, the man's life bears fruit. The other guy over here, he lollygags. And so the hand of God is relatively absent in his life. And he just crashes over here, gets in a ditch over there. The relativity of time, as Einstein tries to explain this, it's got to do with your perspective. For instance, uh, I'll give you an example of just for the person who works hard in the day and is constantly busy, do the hours of the day fly by? Yes. No, time is constant. Y'all, something didn't listen. <laughs> you remember when you were all bored, you know, just how slow the hours of the day went by? You remember that? No, the hours is constant, it's constant. But relative to your partnership in time, it is either a long 50-hour day, and relative to your partnership with time, your day is like three hours. Can you all follow with me? So time is relative. So here I want to say to you guys, just um, real briefly, to the person who walks with God and leans into God and is fully under the Lord, to that person his life has purpose and meaning, And nothing is arbitrary, nothing is accidental. Everything that person, he reads it through the Lord's hand. Because why? He believes he's of God. God is in him, God is working, God is constantly working. So his relative experience of the hand of God is awesome. The other person constantly just checks out, doesn't partner with the Lord, disobedient, slow obedience lollygagging, sloppy, not praying, not leaning in, not for that person, the Christian life is kind of like a drag. Can you all follow with me? I've been thinking about this for some time. How do you maximize every day so that your life matters? Sunday matters. Monday matters. You put your hand to a plow and you work, and to that person who's engaged every single day in this time capsule, he feels like he's living a full life after 10 years. 10 years might as well be 70 for the man. 20 years might as well be 100 for the man. He's alive. He's engaged. I want to be that kind of a person, right? Not snoozing, but engaged with your Lord. So I came up with this theory. See if you can follow with me. Every day, every day, Should be me. Right? And Christ. Every day. Walking with my Lord. It's kind of like it just makes sense to me here. If we can just shorten this almost. It's like E. Every day is is me. (laughs) And Christ. But life is not about me. I want to tell y'all, Christ should increase, I should decrease. So I think we should just give more to Christ than to me. So, why is it that the one person is bored with God? Because he's not living every day in union with his Lord. Loving His Lord, walking with His Lord. God, teach me. What are you saying? God, where are we going? Um, I just want to encourage everybody in the morning. You should kind of like get up out of your bed. Like, Jesus, where are we going today? What are you doing today? I'm at the forefront of world history. I might as well make some history while I'm at it. Are you all with me? And a person who lives a stunning life and a vibrant life and a vital life and a person that lives an influential, fruit-bearing life... For that person, Christ increases in his day. Christ is not only the increase on Sunday or Wednesday or an hour here and an hour there. That person lives and moves. His whole being is caught up in the Lord. I want to challenge everybody here that um, you're allowed to live a stunning life. Why not? We are at the forefront of it all. Why not live in such a way that you go down in history? And the word legacy is attached to the time that you were allotted to live on this earth. Amen. <laughs> Every day, me, Jesus, square. All things work together for good to those who love God and are called according to his purpose. Indeed, every day should be me and Christ squared. As I traverse time and as I live out the remainder of my years, Christ should really increase and I should decrease. Christ should become my life, and I should become a crucified vessel. No longer I who live. In Him, I should live and move and have my being. And it's His image into which God has predestined us to be conformed. So God is at work. What a promise. What a comforting verse that amidst all the trial and all of the difficulty... God is at work, and we pray, and the Spirit prays through us, and the Father answers by causing all things to work together for the good. However, I dare not say that God is the instigator of difficulty or sin, or it is His pleasure to oppose us. Beloved, that is not the the M.O. of God. We do live behind enemy lines. We do live in a fallen world that has been subjected to vanity. And since we are a part of this world with two feet still very much planted on this earth, things are going to be difficult. It is of sin, and it is of the fall, and it is of the satanic. But in the satanic ignorance and the onslaught that we often face, God still trumps. God is triumphant over the agendas of the devil. Whatever Satan has meant for evil, God is well able to work through that, even for our glory. I'm reminded of Joseph in the Old Testament who had a vision of glory and a vision of influence and a vision of usefulness to God. But his brothers, through jealousy, of course, threw him in a pit, sold him into slavery, landed in Potiphar's house, was falsely accused, and he went uh, uh, by a detour that you would not script. No man in his logical mind would say this is the way to become the, the second in charge of all of Egypt. And so it seems as though the satanic was directly opposed to the vision that that Joseph had. And the satanic was to to quell that. But God, even through the detours, worked his purposes. Because Joseph was called, but he also stayed in the worship of God, in his faithfulness to God, in his obedience to God. According to Paul in uh, Romans chapter 8, he stayed in the love of God. Now, it wasn't God who orchestrated the the, the envy and, and throwing him into a pit and selling him and the false accusation. That was just the world system, even the satanic agenda. But God was not perturbed by it. His hands was not in a bind because of it. God is still working, beloved. I cannot imagine some of the things that you have gone through. And perhaps there are, like in the case of Job, no answers as to why certain things have happened to you, certainly to the Christians in Rome, who eventually were persecuted by by Galigula and by Nero and all of the emperors. There were no real answers as to why that happened. But still, through all that malice, God was at work. And that is what this promise is all about God is going to bring forth the image of his son a mistake though that I often make is I read verse 28 and I think that in this time in this life God has to work all things together for the good and often it doesn't we know that in the second and third century, a lot of Christians were martyred for the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. We learn from Hebrews chapter 11 that in the Old Testament, a lot of those saints didn't see the deliverance that they had believed in and hoped for and prayed for. And sometimes you and I, we are not immediately delivered. In fact, Christians have been known to face some of the the most horrendous Um, tragedies known to, to, to mankind. What are we to make of this? This verse does not promise us temporal relief. And for many of us, by faith, we do overcome certain hardships, certain temporal affairs in this life that were difficult, and we praise the Lord for that. But those of you that do not experience the breakthrough, in fact, your days and seasons even get harder This verse is apocalyptic. This verse is definitely eschatological. There are days, again, hear me, that we experience breakthrough and deliverance and overcoming. But there are many, many believers throughout the ages that have experienced tragedy beyond imagination. And this verse speaks to them. Somehow, when we awake in the resurrection, we will be changed and transformed into the image of Jesus Christ. So we should not look at the here and the now and the things that we see. And we should not lose heart, even if difficulty intensifies. God is at work. And as long as we are in time, He is definitely working an eternal weight of glory. And beloved, that glory is not gold and palaces and castles and a utopic heaven of sorts. The glory that God is working into our lives is Romans chapter 8, verses 29. The image of His firstborn Son. That is the image of Jesus Christ. So today, as you are alive, allow the Holy Spirit to work from within you And all the promptings from within you, say yes to it, obey it, and and grow by it. And just know that all of the difficulty that is pressing upon you from the left and the right, God is even sovereign, and God is even able to, through that, do something of the image of Christ in and upon and through us. Stay in the Spirit. Stay in the loving of God and watch how God in his own way and in his own time will bring you and I into our greatest calling and that is to be like his son beloved much love much grace to you if you are in a trial then we can pray to be delivered from it we can certainly say God. Cause me to overcome through this and and have breakthrough and be delivered and have victory in this. We can certainly use Romans 8.28 and say, God, work this together for my good. But for those of you who are yet struggling and it seems like breakthrough is, is, is never coming, beloved, stay the course. If in time God does not answer you, I promise you I have it on good authority when time wraps up God will have the last say and while things may not always manifest in time as we know it when it does wrap up God will see fit that all of his purposes prevail and triumph over everything that Satan has meant for evil and we will awake and we will be resurrected In the likeness of the greatest person in the universe, the Son of God, our Lord Jesus Christ. Until that day, beloved, stay the course.